Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back with you for part two of the Inside Linebacker countdown uh, on the draft. I'm doing it with Jordan Coe here. Jordan, how are you doing? Good, Ken. Glad to be here. Always a lot of fun to do these. And and you talked a lot about the Ravens' uh, specific situation, which honestly is a pretty good situation to be in coming into a draft, not needing an inside linebacker when the inside linebacker class is so weak. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's it's almost as though Eric DaCosta did his homework and made sure <laughs> that he kind of took a look at what this class looked like before they got here, had some sense of where he needed it to be. And, and that was part of the Roquan Smith decision, you know, not only giving up the draft pick in a draft in a year where it doesn't feel as strong of a draft, right? You're looking at classes like wide receiver, inside linebacker, and others that just just are not as typically strong. Obviously, you do have a stronger quarterback class than you have and uh, have had in other years, but just doesn't feel like as definitively of a strong draft. Corner is a great, really strong part of this draft, good for the Ravens, and especially in terms of where their pick is, but not overall as strong of a draft. It makes the Roquan Smith deal look a little bit smarter in, in retrospect. You may not love the cap number, and um, but it's hard not to love him as a player, and it's hard not to think right now that strategically the Ravens made some right decisions leading up to this moment uh, as they got into this year. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a tough decision looms. We talked about this a little bit in the first episode. And by the way, go download that episode if you haven't done it. You haven't listened to it yet. There's some fun in going 10 to 1. And, you know, you may have thoughts about the, the prospects yourself and wondering, you know, where do they have my guy? But uh, you want to start at the bottom in this. And we were both fairly pessimistic, I'd say, in the first half of this in terms of the guys there. And uh, there's, some, there's some players I like parts of, but everybody's got warts. In, in this draft in terms of, of what they are. Nobody's an obvious projection to immediately step on the field and be Patrick Willis or Roquan or, or uh, Ray Lewis or anybody else for that matter. So uh, uh, the, the, there's only really one guy that stands head and shoulders for me above the other guys in this class. And then uh, we'll, we'll talk about those in this, in this show as we count down from five to one. So we are at your number five guy, Jordan. Let's uh, let's hear it. So my five guy is Trenton. No, sorry. <laughs> Looking at the wrong list here is um, Drew Sanders from Arkansas. Um, okay. Another bigger guy um, at, like Overshawn, probably a bit oversized in terms of kind of where he is in terms of height and weight at six foot four, two thirty five. Going to have to put on some size in terms of what you're going to get from him overall. But a guy that when I looked at him on tape seemed to be one that really stood out to me. Um, seemed to to obviously be good as an edge rusher that he kind of started out as overall. But once he moved to that off ball linebacker, flourished overall. Um, Really good ability from what I was seeing on tape to block shed, 
Um, and so when you get that combination of a guy that can slide down to edge when you need to because of his history, as well as his ability to block shed is really nice to have. But questions about his ability as a pass protector or a pass defender. Um, and I think that's what the really big question when it comes to the NFL these days is, can you be a guy doing those other things are valuable, but can you be a guy that is going to add something to the team or be able to add something to the team as a pass defender? And if you can't do that, you like you were saying on our earlier podcast that everybody's got to go out there and download and listen to, if you aren't good in that pass defense mode, teams are going to find you. They're going to isolate you. We've seen it happen to Malik Harrison. We've seen it at times happen to Patrick Queen. Yep. Um Teams are going to go at you, and I think that, to me, was the reason why, give, kind of given Sanders' kind of size and ability, um, that he wasn't a little bit higher on my list. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like the guy, and he was – where did I have him? I have him at number two. So this mm. uh, uh, is the first, like, first of a couple guys that I really like. Now, you're, you've got on him for being a little bit lean at 6'4", 235. I think that's kind of – sure he could gain five pounds but i don't think he's i don't think he's way undersized at that he he plays pretty big he, he played on the edge uh he's not quite long enough i don't believe for the edge or i don't have his arm like sitting right in front of me here um here's the big problem is that he had an a high missed tackle rating college 18.6 percent and unusually that was even higher at inside linebacker where it was 19.6 percent in 22 where he 22 missed tackles in 2022 also um, where he, where he most recently played. So he's going to need to get better at that. Now that said, he's built in a way that he tries to tackle in a very form manner. I don't think it's going to be a problem. I, I honestly think he, he's the most easy projection of all to improve his missed tackle rate out of this entire class. Uh, so that, that was uh, uh, nice. Definitely tackles through the body uh, drives the opponent backwards. Uh, you know, you see some of the, um, desire to put the quarterback on the ground hard in his regular run tackles. So I like that. Um, he chased down Bryce Young on a rollout, uh, which I think it gives me a little bit better feeling about his ability to contain uh, players. He uses reads leverage pretty well uh, to be able to contain a faster player um, like Young. He's not um, quick enough to the play on some dump offs and screens, which has led to a higher yards per target in college, 8.7 yards per target allowed, which is too high. Um, and that was in 22, 9.6% for his 9.6 yards per target for his career, which is a lot of dropping from outside linebacker when he was at Alabama. Most of that is yak. It's still not good enough. Um, uh, it's something he definitely needs to improve. He wasn't targeted a lot though. And, and, you know, if, if a guy like that is playing at Alabama, and has only targeted 26 times in 356 coverage snaps with you know half his play roughly coming at Alabama. That's really unusual. Never gave up a touchdown, one interception. Uh, so, so that was kind of nice. And we had the, the thing we haven't talked about, and the reason why I've, I've got him ranked so high is he really gives you a lot of value as an off-ball linebacker in terms of pressure. 26% pressure rate. In 2022, he had nine and a half sacks. A lot of that was not accumulated off-ball. But he'd be an outside line. Sorry, he'd be a, a, a inside linebacker, and then he just line up at the line of scrimmage as a secondary edge a lot of the time. And most teams that that he tried that again just had no answer for it. So he he was able to uh, uh, get some nice free runs at the quarterback, or he'd, he'd be mismatched against either a running back or a tight end, or he'd have the tackle alone, which is exactly where he wants him uh, on on some other place. So he had a good uh, set of, uh, of of pressure opportunities there. 
there's some suggestion that he might be a sub package inside linebacker. I don't see that at all. I think he's a, you know, first two downs, add some pass rush as you need it. The guy he looks like most to me, if you go back and and he's not there as a tackler yet, but he's more than there as a pass rusher is 2001 Jamie Sharper, who the Ravens moved on from a three, one quarter being their primary pass defense on high leverage downs Played a lot of dime to that year, but but the three one quarter they played a ton of to a three, 32 dime in 2001. So it's really the last time they played it in any significant amount. They played a little bit in 21, but but it's the last time they really played a significant amount. And Sharper would just roam the line of scrimmage and look for an opportunity to rush the passer. Uh, also had some coverage skills that he brought to the table. Sanders is not there yet, but um, but definitely Sharper uh, uh, became a much better player. Um, in that 2001 season. And the Ravens said, you know, we're going with him. Uh, it was an interesting, interesting change, you know, effectively taking a um, another defensive back, their seventh defensive back off the field that year. And I, I see some of that value as a rusher in Sanders. I really like uh, what he might bring uh, from that standpoint. Definitely not a finished product. Uh, he won't be 22 until December. So from that standpoint, get some bonus points for that as well. Yeah, it's probably a little higher than I would have had him and a few guys that I liked at the top end, but I could definitely see where the appeal might come in on all those areas you were talking about. All right, so my number four guy is Noah Sewell. And so we'll move to your number – sorry, my number five guy. Your number four guy. Yeah, my number four guy was Dorian Williams. I was Dorian Williams. We talked about yeah. him already. This is going to be a quick show here. Because it's good. We're going to wrap up real fast. Gonna wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> we had, I think we only have two players to talk about left, but my number four guy was DeMarvian Overshone. Yeah. And you have, you had I, who at number I four? had him at eight. And then I, at number three, I've got Henley, who you had at, I think, eight, right? Did you say who was your number four guy? I'm sorry. My number four guy was Dorian Williams. Okay, right. You you did say. Okay, I'm sorry about that. So number three <laughs> you have on your list is Henley for you? Yeah, Henley for me, who I just thought was – I saw him as a lot more instinctive, I think, than you did, which is why I think I liked him better. Okay, well, that's fair enough. And and I, he'll probably go earlier uh, anyway with the with the lack of inside linebackers. And we, and we made this point in the first show, we should be rooting for that. You know, if there's a run on inside linebackers in this draft in the first round, if this becomes one where, oh, my God, there's none of these – there, there's nobody here, we got to get this guy. Um, and, and there's really only a couple of guys who look like obvious, you know, guys you can stick in and try and play Mike right away. It's really only one automatic. And then there's a couple of the guys that, that you hope for, uh, Dorian Williams and maybe, um, I think Sewell is the guy to say would grow into a Mike. He's, he's got to play the Mike. That's the only position he's really built for, but, uh, but he, the, you know, William Sewell and, um, I, I guess the next guy we're going to talk about is uh, w- would be one other possibility. So uh, you didn't have him at number three, right? So, I, but what? Sorry, I had Henley at three. Yeah. Okay. So why don't you talk about Trenton Simpson some? Because I've got him at three, but you got him at two. <laughs> get your, get yeah. your comments in first. Yeah, Trenton Simpson is the next guy, or my number two guy that I have overall on my list. But you know, just just a guy that really fluid, rangy, good speed, good size. I mean, when, when you're looking for a guy, he's just going to check a bunch of the boxes. We talked a little bit earlier about needing a guy that's going to have speed He's or have size. He's that 6'2". So in that same range as the Bart Scott, Jamie Sharper, 
Ed Hartwell type size, but with a lot more speed than those guys brought to the table at four, four, three, um, going to bring a lot more overall in that regard, Looks strong in terms of what he brought in terms of pass defense. So you're just getting an overall, what feels like a really well balanced overall linebacker and a guy that could be versatile um, for a guy that might slide for the Ravens. This is a guy that I'd really like because I think he's a guy that could plug and play. Um, if you ultimately did decide to trade queen or for whatever that looked like, if you are down in that fourth or fifth round, he's still there. I don't think he's going to be around at that point in the draft. Mm -hmm. He is, I think he is kind of that prototypical guy that you just talked about that if he's taken earlier than someone else might expect that you would see, them that somebody trading for Patrick Queen because they missed out on the guy that they wanted. Um, but he's a guy that I could think would also just from the way he plays and what you've seen, and obviously the pedigree at Clemson, it's going to be able to step in pretty quickly. And a guy that's, I think, a, a, a very good prospect. Yeah, I, I like him too as a prospect. I did see weaknesses as a coverage player that, that had me ranking him a little bit lower, but the speed is there. 25 bench reps, so no problem with that in terms of, of uh, being at a good spot uh, in terms of functional strength or uh, well, at least in, in terms of bench strength to, to start off his NFL career. He won't turn 22 until June 14th, so that's another uh, good bonus point situation there. Um, his play speed is terrific. So I thought it showed up run, pass, and pass rush that he flies after the football. He really – you. A lot of guys who run 443, you don't necessarily see them playing 443 on the field because they're they're maybe not instinctive enough. He's got, I think, pretty good instincts, but more than that, he's just ready to let it rip and and go after, make the mistake at 100 miles an hour. We said that about one other player, uh, you know, obviously in this draft, but uh, but he was a guy who I think I, I think obviously bring, puts that speed to bear. Um, he's a 13.3 percent missed tackle rate in his career. Not what I'd want from a guy who has otherwise very good inside linebacker characteristics, it did drop to 11.7% in 22. It's not, it's not the end of the world, but it's got to get better in, in terms of that. And, and at the NFL level, it maybe could even stay at 11.7%, but he's going to have to fight to keep it at that same level is probably the better way to state that. Uh, if you look at the tape of him, you don't have any um, – problem finding plays where he drives through on the tackle or slings a player down violently you see a, you know, a fair amount of that being done to quarterbacks uh, quarterbacks really seem to not want to get hit by this guy by the way there's, there's some definite ducking out of the way he had a couple i wouldn't even call them arm tackles it's more like a finger tackle where the the quarterback ducked ducked to the ground immediately in a college game of course you're you're, you're down you, you can't get back up from that even if you even if it's missed but that was a uh, something I I, I kind of liked about him on tape. Um, his pressure rate, and and Sewell is the other guy. Noah Sewell is the other guy who had a, a big decline in pressure rate, but he had a 34.4 pressure rate in 21. In 22, it was only 14.7%. I don't know what happened, but that's wherever he fits in between those two is a lot of his value in the NFL. So if he's if he can be up closer to that 30% number, you know, he could all of a sudden be. 75% of Micah Parsons. If he if he drops to 14.7%, he's not a very exciting inside linebacker at all. Um, so he's you know, you're you just getting a very average kind of rate of return on your uh uh on your blitzes are actually probably a little bit low. Now his coverage is a double-edged sword, and I like this about him that that he's he's held people to 5.4 yards per target. Most of that is yak, but despite that great 
um, number is 5.6 career, which is a really good number. I didn't see any ability in zone. I did not see him figuring out what was going on behind him and being a guy who dropped deep to make a play like an Overshone does. And that's unfair because Overshone is the best in the class by far. Um, uh, but he wasn't. Uh, Trenton Simpson, despite good numbers, I think the Clemson safeties probably had more to do th- with that than uh, who he is specifically. So uh, uh, anyway, I I like most other elements about him. I think he needs a relatable inside linebacker coach. So a Zach Orr, um, and not a Rob Ryan, you know, in terms of a guy who who will take the time with him, try and teach him the fundamentals of the position. He's got all of the upside playmaking skills. He's, he's you know, a Patrick Queen type athlete otherwise. So you're really dealing with a great piece of clay there, but he's he's got some things that are going to have to be reworked in the NFL. Um, the one thing I, I did like about his coverage, by the way, is when he's got some sort of man responsibility, like a wheel route or a flat route or even a screen, he can sometimes be a little late on, on the screen, but, but he generally when he has man responsibility, I thought he's very good at flying after that. So that was a positive. So anyway, got to learn how to shed a little better. got to learn how to tackle a little better. Got to learn how to drop deeper a little better, but the, 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 the toolkit definitely seems to be there. And for that reason, he was my number three guy, I believe. Yeah. Three and two for you, right? That's right. Okay. All right, so we already talked about my number two guy, and that's Drew Sanders. So I assume we've got the same number one guy. Tell us what you saw. Yeah, the same number one guy. I mean, prototypical headliner, size, sideline to sideline ability, everything he brought to the table. I think the thing that distinguished Campbell to me, and, and I assume that I assume that we're both talking about Jack Campbell, yes. is uh, that that there was a leadership component that he brought to this team. Obviously, when you see some of these dominant defenses. Um, in the way that Iowa was able to play overall. Um, a lot of that has to flow through that inside linebacker position. You get this really, you know, it's one of these unique things, and we've talked a little bit about the devaluation of the inside linebacker position. Kind of we've alluded to that overall in some of these draft conversations. But what's so fascinating about the inside linebacker position is that what it can bring to a defense is when you do rise to those elite levels. You, you cannot um, – from my perspective and and I I would be, you know, I'd be interested to save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app, get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. hear somebody's argument from some of these elite defenses that we've seen at the NFL level recently of operating without at least one or two elite inside linebackers that are bringing the ability to be sideline to sideline coverage size every kind of component as well as kind of the recognition and leadership that you need out of that position that's what part of what makes Roquan you know the addition that he was to this Ravens defense I think you can't or you will struggle to be really elite without somebody that is bringing it to the in that role for the uh, for a team and I can see Jack Campbell 
being one of those guys that if he's able to continue to kind of play at the same speed that he played in college, being able to do that at the pro level. Um, and part of that is just that the size that he brings to the table at that kind of six, five two fifty for the speed that he plays at is quick. And it looks quick on tape. He looks like a sideline to sideline guy. You're not projecting any kind of additional weight. You're not projecting any kind of additional strength in terms of what you're getting with him. So at least from a scouting perspective, it feels like you're getting what you already want or what you already need from the position. And so when you get kind of all those things mixed in together, I think he is kind of the classic guy that's going to be the first guy off the board from that perspective. I think it's going to be fascinating to see where he ends up going in the first, like does he end up going in the tail end of the first round? If he gets into the second round, is that, is that going to be a slide for him overall? Got an outstanding edge class this year. We got quarterbacks that need to be drafted up high. We got corners who there's a there's a fair number, and we always have wide receivers that people want and covet just because of the value of the position. But it would not shock me if Jack Campbell goes in the top fifteen, um, and it would be probably oh. a, tr- a a trade up situation by a team where that's their that's their major need. And I'm not sure what team would put inside linebacker as their major team major need, but there probably could be a team that that would do it because they've seen what Roquan Smith has done, or they equate him to an Erlacher or a Lewis or some of the other guys who've, who've led an inside linebacker over the last 25 years, uh, because he definitely has that kind of ability. I mean, I, I, I don't want to overdo the guy because in the NFL, there's always a good chance of injury. Careers can end quickly. I don't think this guy's career is going to end due to lack of production for anything but injury. And he's the kind of player who could be so popular in a town that that he's a you know a, a reasonably good chance to be a ring of honor player right out of the gate and he's and it's just the kind of guy your fan gate base gets totally electrified and behind in terms of everybody wearing his jersey and still not be a quarterback and there's not too many players like that there's almost no offensive lineman uh it, it's usually a safety a corner maybe sometimes Sometimes it can be an inside linebacker. Sometimes, obviously, it can be a running back or wide receiver. But but Campbell is 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 one of those kind of guys. In terms of the measurables, he's he's you mentioned a lot of it. Here's the the big one that just drives me you know up the wall in terms of of what he might be six seventy four on the three cone. Now that is a slot corner number. I mean that's a really terrific number. Except that cornerbacks now. Uh, like the play of treat the three cone, like the play, it, it can only lose them money. If they've got good college tape, it's the last drill they ever want to run at the combine. So you look at them, there's many fewer cornerbacks who even will participate in that drill. Now at inside linebacker, he didn't have too much to lose. And he probably had tested already. He knew he was going to be good. And, and that's just an outrageous number uh, for an inside linebacker, for a guy, his size um, in a lot of ways, he didn't rush the passer a lot. But that was in most cases because he was just too valuable as a coverage player to do it. So he had 5.6 yards per target allowed, a 70.2 uh, passer rating against in 22. It's almost all checkdowns and screens. So I don't have an A dot for him as a linebacker. It's one of the things I'd really like to know is how far was the average pass from the line of scrimmage against him. But 218 yak and 236 total uh, yards allowed by him. So it's almost all basically the average The average completion is right around the line of scrimmage and uh, and, and uh, it has some yak on it. 
just a handful of passes allowed of 10 plus yards in the entire season. He had five games with one. I don't know if he had two. One pass for 24 yards was the longest he allowed the entire season. So uh, it was very good. Really good understanding of what's going on behind him. He drops fairly deep. He puts his hands up. He's good with the tip drill. A lot of things you like. Um, what I'll say about this is PFF punishes um, people for zone completions because the underneath defender is more typically charged with that coverage area. Even if they're if they're equidistant, he's almost always the underneath defender is responsible for it. But if but if um, even if it's closer to the to the back defender, the 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 underneath defender will often get credit get charged with the uh, with a completion there. So pretty amazing what he was able to accomplish. Did not. It, it, he didn't have to hide from anybody in terms of his coverage ability, I'll say. Reads the QB very well, presents that great barrier at 6'5 in terms of, of passing lanes. Um, has only a 9% missed tackle rate. You know, we've been talking about these guys that are in the mid-teens, uh, but Campbell is a very, very sure tackler rate. Um, uh, one thing that you see is he's a real good puncher of the football, so he's often left hand for the tackle. There's not too many people who can trust their left hand to make the tackle and then punch with the right hand free as frequently as he does. But he's good as the second hand to the ball or the second man to the ball. I saw that regularly in terms of, of, of what he did. Uh, shedding through blocks, not an issue at all for him. Uh, he, he probably could read a little quicker, but I really didn't have a problem with that. I know some some grading people have had some problems with how he – uh, reads a little bit slower. Um, I think his athleticism actually looks very good in the run game as a as a general thing. And, I, and there's something about overreading too that we've got a few guys we've talked about flying around at 100 miles per hour. That's not him. Uh, he's he's a more methodical run defender than that. And I actually like that about him. I think that probably makes him a better pass defender and less vulnerable to play action. So that I really liked about it. Um, he is the most obvious immediate projection as a three down Mike. Uh, there is in this draft. There's only about three guys I would really put in that category is maybe four uh, who could, you could even like hope to do it. But him, I think is a hundred percent chance. He takes a green dot right away. He's the Mike linebacker for some NFL team there uh, from day one. And I think if the Ravens really are hoping that Campbell goes in the top 15 and maybe even starts a run at inside linebacker that lasts through maybe the middle of round two and you get the big four guys off the board who, who are uh, you know potential signal callers and mics from uh, from early on, or you hope that a team covets? I mean, if you if Campbell, I I I'd be interested, and in, I, I was I was stunned when the Seahawks took Jordan Brooks, where they took mm-hmm. him. So um, you know maybe maybe there's more there than I think there is there. But if at if teams value Campbell like a top fifteen player and he's still there on the board at twenty two, and the Ravens don't like him. I think that's probably a more ideal scenario actually than him going before the Ravens pick because it's either going to start a run after their draft pick or, I mean, minus the fact that him being off the board would be a guy that the Ravens don't want possibly (laughs) wouldn't take in the first round. Like beyond that piece of it saying that, you know, him being around at that spot, if teams value or overvaluing inside linebacker that much, um, maybe it does give the opportunity for the Ravens to be able to trade back at that point. You know, you see, get get into a situation where all the corners go before the Ravens pick none of the wide receivers go and Jack Campbell still on the board um you know maybe that's one of those moments or situations where the Ravens obviously have a moment where they could trade down and get the value and, and get some of those picks back and are still in a good place so 
you know, that's an, another hypothetical of where all that could go on uh, uh, the night of round one. Yeah, so maybe it's even better if if he goes at twenty one, and then the Ravens have have the pick and trade Queen at twenty two. You, you could even engineer a you know a a, a a picks and Queen deal that might be fairly attractive uh, at, at some point. Uh, so it's it's you know one of the things I, I'm I am really okay with Patrick Queen playing the season. He plays so well after Roquan got here. In fact, a little bit before Roquan got here, he was already playing well. So I. You know, I'm happy to see him be a Raven for this year. I just don't think the Ravens are harvesting the full value that he could provide somebody else and instead are allowing him to basically walk on some of that fifth-year option value. So it's it's kind of unfortunate. But then on the other hand, if he plays here, the Ravens will get a comp pick. If Queen has a really big year, it's going to be a good comp pick. So it's it's kind of exciting from, from that perspective as well. So uh, uh, we'll see. Who is the corner? You want the Ravens drafting at 22. Oh, I like, well, obviously Joey Porter Jr. If Joe, I think there's almost a 0% chance that he makes it all the way to 22. But if he's there, I think the Ravens will run the card up. Um, and that's an easy pick. I think Deontay Banks is probably my second choice um, when it gets there. Obviously, any of the guys that you would rank ahead of that, I might not be as big of a uh, Christian Gonzalez fan as others mm-hmm. um, might be. Um, but I think anybody that, that would kind of rank above there, the Ravens will be in a rush um you know to be able to take a corner that they need it'll be i mean there's oh there's still so many outstanding questions as it comes to to lamar and i know we don't probably don't want to get dragged down into a lamar conversation but a lamar deal and cap space being opened up and the ability to you know either bring in another wide receiver so you don't have to draft one or bring in bring marcus peters back so you don't have to draft one i mean to me it feels like the only reason marcus peters hasn't signed somewhere else is that his preference that he has some preference to want to come back to Baltimore, but there's an understanding that that cannot happen until Lamar Jackson is signed to some kind of, whether it's the tag or whether it's some kind of long-term deal. So the Ravens have an assessment of what that is, but he's happy to wait out the market at this, you know, we're close enough to the draft. I just, it seems unlikely that he'll sign before the draft. Um, And that leaves a window open for the Ravens to be able to take him. And I would love to see a situation where you can get Lamar under contract, bring Marcus Peters back, take the best corner or wide receiver that's available there in the first and just roll with whatever combination of that, that this team comes out to be. Yeah. It's you, you really want to have three outside corners who are good anyway. And if I'm much more comfortable, Brandon Stevens is the team's fourth cornerback than if he's the third uh, on, on the outside, even forgetting about the slot for a moment, because the Ravens don't really have anybody after Hamilton in the slot that they, that they, you know, they're, I think they'd be thrilled about right now. Uh, so anyway, other than you know moving Humphrey there, they obviously could could play some kind of game like that. But I, I don't think I'd be in favor. The guy I really love, and the guy I think he fits the Ravens' defense and what they do schematically, uh, is Emmanuel Forbes. And so mm-hmm. after the after the first two guys, Forbes is the guy. I mean, seventy percent of his PDs in his career were turned in interceptions. That's that's incredible conversion rate, just incredible, and. Uh, six of them returned for for touchdowns last year. Hit two hundred and I think it was two hundred ninety four yards allowed and hundred and eighty in interception return yards. So if you take the the if you deduct his interception return yards from his total yards allowed, you basically get a guy who gave up less than two yards per target for the season. Just big time gambler and and I I really love him. So we'll get, you get some bonus cornerback content. In, uh, in this episode. So you're Joe, Joey Porter Jr. And I, I'd be Emmanuel Forbes at the number three guy. I'm not 
I mean, other than the size and, and um, you know, you see the playmaking ability on tape from Gonzalez, but what really shows up in the stats to me about Gonzalez is 8.8 yards per target. And that's why he couldn't be my number one guy at that. So uh, I'm, I, I'm a Witherspoon guy as the number one guy. Yeah, yeah I, I would. Gonzalez is a guy that I, if, if drifts down, um, obviously at 22 would be tremendous value for the Ravens, mm-hmm. but still a guy that uh, I wouldn't love that pick. And all, and I think that not a prototypical Ravens type receiver. I, you know, I mentioned both. I think Forbes would be a fantastic addition. Um, I think Banks and Porter both are also just kind of a little bit more of that prototypical Ravens cornerback type that they really like. I think if if both of them are available at twenty two, um, and I think that uh, uh, oh, I can't never remember the order of his name. The the wide receiver from Ohio State. Um, uh, 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 Harrison? No, Smith. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, uh, JSN. Yeah, uh, JSN. Smith and Jiva. Okay, I, I can never remember the order of it. I think that he's the only guy I'd like to see the Ravens take at wide receiver. If he, you know, obviously in a perfect world, some combination of Forbes, Porter, Banks, and um, JSN being there for the Ravens to choose from, it'd be fascinating to see which direction they end up going in. And at that point, at that point, that's what's on the table of trade back. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know that's they they still a pretty good chance to do that. I don't think they'll trade back as far as people think. I think you know it might trade back six picks twice kind of thing. Yeah, uh, particularly if they if they have four guys on the board they like. The you one rule I've heard with NFL GMs is if you have three guys you like, you can or, or if you, if n guys you like, this is going to make it not as understandable. You can you can go back two n picks. So there's the three guys you like on the board. You can go back six picks. And and you can uh, uh, pick up the still be a good chance to pick up a player that you want. So uh, Costa made that comment was I thought an interesting one, but he didn't give away what the Ravens' philosophy on it was. And and I've heard other teams they just they'll say it outright in terms of if we, if we have three guys we like we we our rule is we can trade back six picks. So it, it should be the Ravens are in an interestingly decent spot at that twenty two range that the nfl draft is always crazier than you expect i think all four quarterbacks will go before the ravens pick which is optimal for them you'd love to see a guy like richardson not have post draft day start to see see that slide and that hype and and what that can do but it feels like the ravens are in a good spot for what their team needs are um and for what they need to do and whether their their ability to make some kind of decision with that pick um and so i think that's going to make it a little bit more enjoyable than some of these past Ravens drafts have, have actually been. All right. Well, I, I, I tell you one thing that is tremendously enjoyable is watching the draft with other Ravens fans. We've done that the last few years. Uh, Jordan, I know you spent some time with us on, on that, but you often do something on, on, uh, on draft weekend that, that uh, I can completely respect as a, as a, as a guy who likes to go to Las Vegas. But, uh, but anyway, we do that every, every year. We usually have a panel of about, six or eight people it floats so different people come on uh and, and join us for a while we have some live questions uh going on and, and an opportunity to jump on for a, uh to do that but i think it's a it's a really fun way to watch the draft and it is completely raven centric so we'll be doing that uh simulcasting it with huddle it up films and on the on the film study youtube channel and i hope you guys will join us on on draft day i hope you and gabe are going to be able to join us jordan Tell us where people can otherwise talk football with you online. 
Yeah, you guys can find us at uh, at Raven Sit Room. I got a podcast with my co-host Gabe Ferguson. He's at Gabe Ferky. We try and break down some of these Ravens games, some of the big plays, get some early highlights and uh, some reactions to those games coming out on Sunday night or the night of the game. Definitely on the efficient frontier. We've used that a few times during this episode of timeliness and quality of content. So uh, a lot of the a lot of the the grading type stuff takes a lot longer, but the takes that these guys provide on the night of the game are just outstanding. I highly recommend people add it to their regular uh, podcast routine as uh, as they move forward through this season. And it's also available on FilmStudyBaltimore.com. If you're an old person like me, you don't understand how podcasts work. Just go there and click on the on the play button, and you you can play it right off the the website. That's just an easy way to listen. Jordan, thanks a ton for coming on. Yeah, happy to be here, Ken. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.